what you're about to hear is unsupervised. Welcome back to Unsupervised, a Stanley Cup of Chatter podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 10. I'm your host, Colin Beswick. Joined tonight as we record by Stanley Cup of Chowder editor Sky. Sky, how you doing? I'm doing great. I am very, very happy with the way my day has gone, and I'm ready to talk about hacky. All right, you're bringing the positivity to the podcast tonight. I like it. I'll bring the negativity. It'll be a nice balance. <laughs> we are. Uh, we're also joined by. Uh, I guess we can call him a regular at this point by uh, Stanley Cup of Chowder uh, staff writer and contributor Sean Ferris. Sean, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Colin. Glad to hear it. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll get into some arguments along the way here. Anyone who follows us on Twitter or is in our Slack chat knows Sean and I love to, uh, to argue back and forth. Um, we do have a full docket tonight. It's been a little longer than normal in between episodes for us with the Super Bowl and with our schedules. We haven't had a chance to record as much as we'd like. So we're going to go kind of piecemeal and just run through a bunch of different stuff tonight. So it won't be as organized as usual, but one to hit on a bunch of topics. We'll start with maybe the, the heaviest hitter of the topics we have lined up in the, you know, the question of the hour being, what would you do if you're Don Sweeney and Cam Neely by trade deadline? Everyone has their thoughts on this. Do you sell? Do you buy? Do you stay put at a high level? Do either of you feel strongly one way or the other? Uh, Sean, you probably would want to go first because I'm still trying to think about what I would do in that case. It's very well, I mean, it's tough to say what you would do because you don't know what the what the market really is for, for players, right? I mean, you kind of get like the insight from the insiders, but you don't know everything and you don't know what's going on with uh, talks between GMs and whatnot. So there's like, there's a lot of factors, but I made a point to Colin last night that this is probably the Bruins still have like a two to three year window. I would say of like, they could seriously compete and, you know, cause then eventually Bergeron will decline. Um, same with Krejci, but like the next two, three years um, are definitely like the window for the Bruins. And with the goaltending this year, Yarrow obviously having a terrific start, not as great as of late. Tuca's been terrific as of late, didn't have a good start. So, like, that was nice having that that balance there. Um, yeah, but this is probably the best that goaltending's going to be in that two to three years. I mean, so I think if you think about it, goaltending in a way wins championships, right? You need to kind of get a little bit lucky, and goaltending's the best way to get lucky. Uh, so this might be their best window in the next two, three years, unless um, Sweeney works a little bit of magic. Uh, so personally, I'm I'm more conservative on it. I like see like the long picture. I'm not a huge fan of making these short term deadline moves, um, but it costs a lot of money or money. It costs a lot of assets to win, whether those are um, roster players, prospects, picks. Um, so I can see the argument behind making moves. It's just going to be really tough to get somebody like um, Panarin. I don't think Stone's quite on the dead on the uh, trading block. Um, so that's why I kind of said, like, you don't necessarily know what's going on inside. Um, Duchesne's probably another player that Ottawa's going to try to keep. But we'll see. You know, but those are like the two big names outside of Panarin. 
And then um, they've also been like linked to Ryan Zingle, which I like the idea of. I'm not sure what the price is on him. So uh, I guess you really don't know. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, the market has really been held up by, uh, I think the most interesting trade that happened this today was the Brian Boyle trade. And that wasn't really all that substantial. It really feels like a lot of this window has been held up by the senators deciding that they want to figure out something for guys like uh, Mark Stone and Matt Deshane, but they can't get it done at least within a reasonable time frame. And because of that, I just don't feel like, I feel like everyone's just on edge waiting for the market to be set. And in general, I think if you wanted to buy this year, you'd have to go cheap and you'd have to say um, one of the biggest issues of the year has been wing, but we're going to put that off or we're going to draft well, hopefully, and we're going to figure it out. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I'm not putting, I'm not. There's that optimism. Gonna, You're bringing the optimism. I like it. I'm bringing the best case scenario to you is you say, we're going to cut our losses on that one thing and we're going to attack <laughs> a bigger issue like third line center or a depth player that costs probably less than $2 million. And if you can do that without giving up a major prospect, perfect. But right now it's way too early to tell. And that's crazy considering we have like, I don't know, was it 19 days until the deadline? Yeah. Uh, yeah about, about that. Yep. It's 19 days to the deadline and we still don't know what the market looks like. And that, to me, is what's going to make this a weird deadline because any number of things could happen or they could stand pat. And frankly, I don't know if, they'd, if uh, that wouldn't be the worst idea because you know, a lot of the teams that should be selling are trying to do stupid things, objectively unintelligent things like re-sign all these players who are never going to go anywhere with them. And I just don't know what they're going for here. Or even worse, they're trying to put this off until free agency, which helps nobody. So right now, if you really think you've got a guy that can fix one problem but not an, and mask another maybe, then sure, go for it. Try and get them like a Michael Ferlin type, something like that. But big, okay, look, <laughs> it was a name. It is a name. If you can pick up one guy, that's fine. That's probably better than a lot of teams are going to do this year. But other than that, I don't know. I'm very concerned about the lack of a clear market right now. And that, that kind of gives me the impression that something really dumb is about to happen or the market is just going to, or there's just going to be too much being thrown around by next week or the week after that Boston can be part of it. So, so I don't worry about the market not being set yet. I think it'll heat up as we get closer, but I mean, I guess my, my rebuttal or my follow-up to that is, do you think that one piece is enough to, to really move the scale enough for this team? Oh, hell no. Hell right, no, absolutely that, not. That's sort of how I feel. Unless that piece is like Mark Stone, or, you know, someone of that caliber. And even then, okay, so you have two two lines now. You have the Berge line and, you know, the, the Krejci and Stone or Krejci and Panarin line. So and that's huge. More with less. Yeah, it's huge. And, you know, if your goaltending holds, like Sean said, that's great. 
you still have two fourth lines if you're lucky. And you look at a team like Tampa Bay, who I know, you know, every year there's that team that looks like an absolute wagon. And, you know, we think they're going to march right to the Stanley Cup and they don't. But I mean, I look at Tampa and I think, I mean, they're, they're head and shoulders above where the Bruins are currently. And they're not the only team that I think are, are significantly better than the Bruins. And again, it's on paper. I get that. But I just, I don't think one move, even a major one is enough to, to appreciably change their odds of actually winning a Stanley cup enough for the cost it's going to take to get a Panarin or a stone or a Tarasenko or whatever the name of the day is around here. Yeah. It feels like this entire trade deadline season is just preview to an inevitable really really crazy free agency period come this summer which is interesting but it it kind of hamstrings you in a way where you know that you have too many problems you know you have too many uh holes to fill to the point where i don't think you can get it done in one uh deadline season without completely coring your uh depth and that could be that's a real uh, tight bind to be in right now. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm obviously one of the more vocal critics of Don Sweeney, and I guess to some extent Cam Neely for whatever his role in in the day to day hockey operations is at this point in time. But yeah, I just they're not in a in an easy spot. I don't think there's a right answer one way or the other, and that's a pretty rare statement coming from me. I I normally feel like. I know one way or the other what I think they should do. In this case, I'm not sure. Like I said, I don't think that they're one piece away necessarily, but I also can respect the argument that, you know, the Bergeron window, if that's what we're calling it, is it, it's not closed, but it, it's starting to close. The Chara window is, is pretty much gone, I think, at this point. I don't know if he'll be back next year. And I'm not necessarily going all out to win him a cup as much as we all, you know, respect him and all of that. Um, you know, if, if they don't win in his his last year here, they still can win it with Krejci and Bergeron and Marshan and and the rest of the core. So I I don't know. I don't I don't think they're in an easy position. Um, but I also think the position they're in is almost entirely their fault. So you won't get any sympathy from me here. I I think they did a poor job of constructing this roster in the off season, and I don't think it's gotten any better. And now they're forced to either overpay for someone like a Michael Furland or whoever it may be, and it still won't be enough to really swing the odds. I mean, they paid a boatload for Rick Nash last year. Everyone knows my feelings on that. And even if he'd been healthy, I don't think that that would have made enough of a difference. So tough to feel like trying that over with a different player this year is going to make a huge difference. You never know. You never know. But it's still a very, very tight window that they're in to actually make some kind of move, and that's making – and again, the uncertainty in this market is just making this deadline season so much harder because you don't even know what moves you can make right now because for all we know, tomorrow, all the big names could be re-signed and they all say, I've always wanted to be here. I just wanted the money. So who knows where this goes? It's going to be fun, though. That's the joy of uh, deadline season, I guess, or the anguish, depending on what side <laughs> What side you're on, but like the joy wish. Yeah, joy wish. Um, I mean, we'll we'll see. Like you said, I personally don't consider them contenders unless they make some serious serious moves. I I don't see that changing. But on the flip side, I don't want them 
trading away the, the Stadnikos or the Vakaninans or whatever of the world unless they're really truly making, you know, moves that are going to catapult them ahead of where they are. So we'll see. All I know is that uh, hopefully or, or probably won't be as bad as anything Shirelli's done in the last few years. So, you know, we have that to look forward to. Sweeney is at least not Shirelli who finally got uh, got the boot in Edmonton uh, a couple of years too late there. Um, I had a whole rant I wanted to go on on Shirelli. I'll save everyone the, <laughs> the Peter Shirelli <laughs> rant on this episode. But I did want to dive into another Another topic that sort of came about because I was ranting a little bit on Twitter to nobody's surprise. And that's about, you know, what to think about Zdeno Chara or how we should evaluate Zdeno Chara at this point in his illustrious and long career. And if you've been on Bruins Twitter long enough, you've seen the comments just like about Rask or Krejci or any other, you know, divisive figure. There are plenty of Bruins fans out there who think, Char should retire or he's not effective or whatever the case may be. And I usually ignore them, but it, it gets a little harder to ignore when you have Bruce Cassidy publicly calling out Chara, you know, last week, uh, sort of blaming him for the defensive lapses that other players were making. Didn't sit right with me, even if the results seemed to, uh, to work in the last couple of wins they've had here. I'm curious, one of you, what are your thoughts on Bruce's method of sort of calling out Chara for other people's mistakes are, and as a follow-up, how you feel about his level of play this year at 41 years old. Sean first. He's been uh, writing all I over the there. place. I was there. I was in that press conference. Okay. So, I mean, I guess, I guess I have that. No, but, um, I mean, I, I don't know. That might have been – I think it's more something like the overlook. Like, I think that might have just been – Bruce's guy to kind of call out like he knows that Chara can take it when he's trying to just kind of call out the Bruins that was after the Flyers game the Bruins gave up a few odd man rushes that game and uh, Chara was on the ice for the only one against that turned into a goal and I mean he looked flat out he looked ugly on that play but I mean it wasn't necessarily his fault. It was a shot that got blocked by Andrew McDonald or it went off his stick and the Flyers took it the other way. There was two Flyers in the neutral zone and there's no way Charlie was going to stop anything. Um, so I, I think that was more or less something that Bruce kind of just used as like, that's a guy who he can use to call out without hurting his feelings kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, Charles is still an effective player. Look, he's not what he used to be, you know, but he's still an effective player. He has good, you know, results against top line still. So, I mean, for being, what's he, 41 now? Mm-hmm. Yes, he is 41. And he, he gets extensively matched up against, you know, the top lines of, of the opposing teams. And I think he fares pretty well. The Bruins give up less quality shots when he's on the ice and against the, you know, opponent's top players. So he's still effective. And I think that was more or less just Bruce trying to call everybody out. I mean, they were on a losing skid. They lost, was it five or six? And, you know, he just, that was just his guy to call out. I, I didn't look into that too much. That's fair. I mean, he is the captain. I get that on 
some level, you know, you call it your leaders because they can take it sort of deal. But uh, it wasn't just the press conference, too. I know you covered for us that night. Uh, I was at home on that game watching, and, and Bruce Bruce said it a couple of different times, and he he wasn't really holding back. He said it to uh, Jack and Brick in the post game. He said it in the press conference to the media. Uh, said it like three different ways, and he really wasn't, like said, holding back. And I get what he's doing, but I think that it often – was misinterpreted by others to be a direct attack on Chara specifically when in reality, I, even though that's what it sounded like, I don't think that's what Bruce is really trying to do. He said Moore had the arguably the most egregious, you know, play there when, like you said, where, you know, he shot from the point, it turns into a, an odd man rush, but uh, it's just, it's interesting because it sort of, it f- feeds that fire with uh, that segment of the fan base that has wanted Chara gone seemingly for years or stripped of the captaincy or whatever the, stupid take of the day is but i mean what what did you think sky does it sit okay with you do you still think char is effective even though he's 110 years old uh, 155 actually um forgot the round i think he's <laughs> uh i think that char is pretty effective um he's still able to face the Sidney crosby's and Connor mcdavid's of this league and still come out relatively on top uh, he's still got a reach that no, he knows exactly how to use. He's one, still one of the better penalty killers on the team, even if age has taken some of that away. And he's able to do effective board play, which is also very important for a defenseman. One thing I do think is that about the comments, uh, one thing that I uh, did take a lot from that was in there somewhere, he says that Chara needs to get the young guys to buy in and I don't think that just means, you know, the young blue liners and the back checkers as a core. I think that just means the whole team, especially these young players that have been in, that have just recently entered the team. He really wants Chara to like step up, you know, show leadership and say, guys, this is how we do things. We've got to be more responsible with the puck, that sort of thing. Granted, you know, they had gone through some really, really ugly losses throughout that entire stretch where it seemed like him and Charlie McAvoy could do nothing right. And at least in terms of eye test, because other than that, they were doing okay. And I think it's just randomness being interpreted as uh, a slip, a slip in play, which, you know, it happens throughout the season. So as far as I'm concerned, they'll pick themselves back up. They'll play L.A. twice in the next week, so they'll probably be way better than they were. So I think this will be a good test this February to see once you play all these disastrous teams, plus I guess like San Jose twice, and you can really put those guys back into a better groove than they've been. So I don't know. I think they've. I think the idea of like, we got to get rid of them now. That's months ahead. That's you still got three, four months of hockey left and then playoffs, whatever happens after that, whatever injury he picks up, that's when you start talking. That's when you start deciding whether or not he's good enough to take back. So I have, uh, but... I have lots of thoughts on this and definitely, definitely get what you're, uh, what you're saying in terms of like, you know, not necessarily just the defensemen, but sort of the team as a whole and the younger players, but I guess from where I'm sitting, calling out Chara of all people for a lack of leadership is sort of an odd move. And I, I made those comments on Twitter because I think... It, I mean, it is an odd move, but I think 
in order to get those young guys' attention, he called out the scariest human being on the ice. And that's important. That's very, very important, in my opinion, because not only is he going to be able to, you know, bring this up with at practice, he's going to have another far more intimidating human being bring it up. It's weird to do. It's very weird to do. And I don't think it I don't think it worked as well as he think it he thinks it probably should have. But other than that, I I think it's more a generalized uh comment about the team's defense disguised as uh, Chara calling out call out that said I totally understand your frustration if fans believe that was the last straw and they're all in on trying to uh, you know make if they're trying to get Chara out of town that sort of thing that is very frustrating that's not what they're trying to do they're just trying to refocus these guys as hard as they can and if that means having a six foot nine Slovakian <laughs> giant chase them around so be it. Yeah, I agree. I, I, if it works, it works. I think we agree on what Bruce was trying to do. And, you know, it's a small segment of the fan base that, that you know, sort of hates on Chara, of course. Same with Tuca and same with Krejci and Krug and all the other, you know, divisive players. But I, I guess I'll say the same thing about this situation that I've said sort of all year is that when we see Bruce get frustrated, which is a fairly rare occasion, he normally doesn't get too frustrated publicly. I guess my takeaway is that instead of, you know, scapegoating for better or worse Chara or, you know, whoever it may be, you know, it might just be that the roster isn't that good. I know it's a hot take, but like, it seems like half the team is underperforming. I know we can't come out and say like, yo, Sweeney, do your job. Get, you know, get get me some players. That's not his fault. But it is exactly like you said earlier that, you know, fans will misinterpret what he's kind of saying without saying there and take it as a direct shot, you know, on Chara. And it does, it just feeds those fires. My thing with Chara, like at a high level, is that what Sean said is that he's not what he was. He hasn't been what he was for two or three or four years, but he's maintained a fairly steady, you know, level of performance over the last three or four years, especially for his age. And I think this year is the first year where we're we're really starting to see, you know, not slipping, but, you know, you know, I guess regression or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, he's not the char that we're used to and that's fine. He's playing the lowest minutes of his entire career outside of his rookie season. And like by far, it's not even close. He's playing under 21 minutes a night. Uh, he played 23, the last two seasons, 24 before that 23, 24, you know, going up into the 20, almost 28 in you know, mid career. So they've, they've been smart about managing his minutes. They're using him as a shutdown pair, like, you know, Sean, and you both mentioned, but my issue is with fans who still expect him to be, you know, preeminent Norris trophy winning best of his generation defenseman. He, he's not that he hasn't been that. And I don't know why we have to tell certain fans to adjust their expectations for a guy who's literally 41 years old. But if you're listening fans, this is for you. He's 41. He's not, not that guy anymore. Mm-hmm but he's still a perfectly fine everyday NHL defenseman, second pair guy, whether he'll keep that up for another year or two. I don't know, but this year you know, there, there's nothing wrong with him being out there. You just notice his mistakes because he's a hundred feet tall and he's slow. It happens. I mean, I understand in theory, the idea behind it and it's a weird sociological thing I want to look more into, but I think, there's an expectation of, of like immediate success or eminent success that is just constant. And 
when star players or players that are name brands in the city of Boston struggle, people talk about it. And it's not always positively if you at all ever, God forbid, turn on the radio and hear anything about <laughs> any baseball player of the past, oh, I don't know, two decades. The trick is to not, not turn on the radio. Yes, <laughs> but I'm an idiot. And I frequently make this mistake over and over. But it's a, I think it's a very, we have an uninflated sense of expectations here in Boston because uh, we win every, we win everything every other year with the exception of maybe one or two teams. And then when people pay attention, they go, what the hell's going on? Why haven't all these big turnover things that I'm used to when other sports happened here, which I think is a big part of it is when players get old in other sports, they just disappear. And in hockey, that just doesn't happen at all. And so the, the amount of commitment that is added into hockey is kind of, I don't want to say anathema, but it's unusual for Boston sports where there's plenty of turnover, you know, every one to five years. So I think it's just, I think it's just, uh, they ha- people have to be conditioned back into the flow of hockey and understanding that, you know, contracts are contracts are contracts and no move clauses are no move clauses. No way. And they can't be changed. Once more for those in the back. Because you don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> David Backus just, is not getting traded. <laughs> as much as we'd love that to happen. I, it's just the game is different. The game has been different. And you got to adjust your expectations, like, substantially. But otherwise, right now... I'll, now that you're kind of out of this losing skid, I think he did okay against uh, against uh, New York. I think he did perfectly fine against New York. So, who knows? Maybe the other New York team will make him look even better. I wanted to stick with the uh, defenseman, you know, just for a, a quick bit here because there was some comments that I. I don't know if controversial is the right word, but I think they were a lot of place by, you know, one of the media members here that was comparing McAvoy to Grizzlick and their development and basically, you know, saying that Grizz was, was significantly more ahead of, of McAvoy in their development, which like all due respect, Grizz is four plus years older and, you know, didn't have heart issues and, and various other, uh, other, you also know. wasn't concussed this this yeah. year. It's just a, it's a terrible comparison. And, you know, yes. respectfully or not respectfully, it's a bad comparison. That's my take on it. Uh, but I'm curious sort of on what both of you think about McAvoy because he's been sort of the um, the target for a lot of criticism. And I don't think all of it's unfair, to be clear. I, I don't think that he has progressed as much as we like or want him to. And it's sort of a perfect segue from what you were saying, Sky, and that Boston fans sort of want what they want and they want it right away because we're used to it. But those of us who've been fans long enough, uh, I guess maybe not Sean, but uh, who've been around for a lot of the players who've been run out of town, I, I worry about that with McAvoy. We're already starting to see media members sort of, you know, take little pot shots here and there at him for not not being, you know, like – a top top young defenseman right away. I don't know if that's fair. I guess it's a matter of expectations, but I think they look at him. He's still, he's 21. He said he had heart issues, which is no joke. Obviously, you know, you want to take that seriously. He's had other injuries. 
do you think he's progressing along sort of where you, you each expected he, he would be, or is he behind ahead? Do you have thoughts on that? Uh, Scott, you go first. Give me a second. All right. Um, I think he's had, he not been concussed this season, which is something no one can account for. I'm sure he'd probably be going through some of the same problems. Um, I think in general, he's been fine. He has had some boneheaded things he's occasionally done. Uh, he's occasionally uh, passed directly to the other team, which will get any fan unhappy. But that's also happened with players who are should be done. You know, guys like John Moore have had that happen. <laughs> and Sorry. Well, <laughs> but it ha- it's happened before my eyes, and I, to this day, cannot tell you what he was trying to do. The thing is... You know, these these are the bumps that you go through in development, especially when you're trying to develop them in the NHL instead of, you know, letting them take their lumps in the AHL or, you know, because you know they're way too good for the AHL. I think it's sophomore slump sort of deal. He's not going to be, you know, the be-all, end-all replacement yet, but he has that potential, and... You, get, you don't just give up on a player because he's going through struggles. You have to grit your teeth, say, okay, this is the best thing for him right now, and say, God, I wish he'd get it over it. But sometimes that means you have to go through a whole 82 games. So, like, I, I don't even think he's been that bad, to be clear. Like, I, in fact, I don't think he's been really bad at all. It's just a bad in terms of what the expectations were from some people, perhaps. But, like, and not to, to jump in front of Sean here, we'll get his comments, but like this is the same fan base and, and I guess media base who wanted to trade away Carlo every three seconds, you know, a year or two ago because they didn't think that he was going to amount to anything and his ceiling was lower than they expected and so on and so forth. And then in his third season, we're seeing how much he's sort of blossomed and grown into, and he's never going to be a number one defenseman, but he's been an excellent shutdown defenseman. Is you know, he's making better reads, better decisions. You know, he's, he's been, Maybe, you know, they're, I mean, Krug's probably their best defenseman at this point, but he, you know, he's, he's close. And so like, I, I listened to the McAvoy, you know, chirping and all that stuff. And it's like, do we not learn from every other young player we've watched come through here? So I don't know that, I think that's just sort of, I want to dive in, but Sean, what did you think about all this? Uh, I think you're about to say it, but uh, I think he's been the best defenseman so far this season. Hmm. Um, Carlo's been the most dependable, but I mean, based on everything, I so he's by far he scored more than any other defenseman at five on five for the Bruins, like by a long shot. So his distance he is, and it's a little bit different because he has much smaller sample size, right? But he is one point one six points per sixty, and the next best is Tory Krug at point seven eight which is the gap from Krug to Kevin Miller, right? So that's a, that's a huge gap. Part of that is because of the sample size. But, I mean, looking either um, the Evolving Wild Twins, um, he comes out to the top of their expected goals, regression uh, adjusted plus minus. Um, Micah uh, McCurdy's um, on ice threat, which is like uh, – they can expect it. It's a expected goals model. It's like um, shots weighted by the location that they're taken. Um, 
he's by far the best offensive defenseman at plus eight uh, percent better than league average, while also being um, good defensively, um, being thirteen percent better than league average, and when he's off the ice, the Bruins are um, 3% below league average offensively and 8% above league average defensively. So, and he's also done that by facing, you know, the top competition too. So, I mean, I think McAvoy's been terrific and really everything you kind of hope for. And I don't understand where a lot of, the um, criticism comes from, except he recently saw a huge rise in, um, or I guess a huge drop in his on-ice save percentage, which is probably where it's come from, and a huge drop in his on-ice shooting percentage. So, like, the tides have kind of flipped for him in terms of luck while he's consistently outshot opponents. And we're also talking about the best opponents too, right? Because he t- plays top uh, against the top lines. So I don't know. I think he's he's been terrific. I think you're and, I think you're giving too much credit to like the people who are being overly critical. I don't like, I don't think they're. I looking. think a lot of it. I'm pretty sure it's just eye test. Like he has occasionally thrown just the most insane pass that doesn't go anywhere and only and only serves to make him look bad, but. You know, that's once out of 60 minutes of hockey. Like, otherwise, he's been perfectly fine, I think. I just think it's some rookie jitters, and he'll get over it next year, and he'll be way better than he's looked, and then he'll probably be even better, uh, at least when the fancy stats tabulate him. He just needs to score a sweet shootout goal, and everything will be forgiven by the fan base for another couple months, I think. Absolutely. But, like, I guess the takeaway from all three of us here, it sounds like we're, we're more or less in agreement, is that one, he's not nearly as bad or even bad, really. And that, like every other seemingly talented young player that's come through the Bruins pipeline in my lifetime of watching them, uh, you know, and I'll include myself, we, you know, we are, are often too harsh on them too soon, um, you know, just because they find success, you know, quicker than we may have expected. Doesn't mean that they're going to sustain that or improve at a, a linear rate that, you know, fans sometimes think they are. Uh, and that's all also like, you know, microcosm of why it's important to go beyond eye testing and, and really see what the results are when they're on and off the ice and all of that as well. And I know not everyone's going to do that. It's just a fact, but um, you know, that, that is sort of why it's important around here. Um, so I think he's fine. I think, fans should be patient and like I said do a little more research on him and and I'm not even sure how much is fan driven in this case I think a lot of it's media driven and don't mm -hmm. trust your eyes don't trust your eyes your eyes can be easily fooled yeah even I mean there's no doubt like the best scouts shouldn't trust their eyes all the time either you know like you could be a, a vaunted member of the 200 hockey men and legitimately know more about hockey than the rest of us combined, your eyes still aren't going to absorb all the information that you need to. That's the purpose of statistics. And I know people hate that, that take, but it's true. Like there's no way around it. So. He also like, he's the most dynamic defenseman for the Bruins. Like, um, 
So, yeah, we'll go with the, the game against the Flyers. And I don't remember if Charles was on the ice. But, you know, the Flyers are playing man-on-man coverage. And Krejci's coming from the um, high left boards. And he's coming down. So there's an obvious hole that's going to open up. And McAvoy sees that hole. And Scott Lawton, who's who's been one of the few decent defensive forwards, if I remember correctly, for the Flyers, got to stick in the in the passing lane, and they had like an odd band rush the other way. But those are risks that, especially when you have by far the lowest shooting percentage in the league and you can't score goals, those are risks that you need to be able to take. And I mean, Cassidy also said. Um, yeah, some something that I find really backwards is like our identity right now is team defense, and until we can score goals, we have to focus on that, which is like the it's backwards thinking. Like yeah. you need to be able to take the risks to score the goals, and then you don't have to rely on the defense because you just lost a three-two game where you only allowed one five-on-five goal, and then you lost, you know, against one. I mean, we can go on and on about you know, the low scoring games that they've lost. So, I mean, I think his, his mistakes because he takes risks, you know, they're like more glorified or it's easier to see. And especially like with people that are kind of behind where the game is headed or I shouldn't say that. Cause that sounds like support, but like are still back in like the 1930s, <laughs> you know, like the game is, the game is different now and, you know, you see teams take risks and it works out. Like if you go, if you watch a Tampa Bay lightning game, they are going to take risks in the offensive zone. They're a terrific for checking team because they apply pressure so heavily or Pittsburgh with their um, uh, two Stanley cups were known as like an extremely aggressive team that ran a two on two four check, you know? So I think his, his mistakes are just more obvious and that probably is what gets him eaten up. And then, I mean, there was talk about, like, locker room stuff going on. I don't know. It just – it seems like any good young defenseman gets run out of town, whether it's Dougie Hamilton, Colin Miller, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. So, it's just another another um, defenseman coming and hopefully not going. Yeah, a couple quick hitters on that, and I won't go too deep for all of our sakes and not to cause any issues here, but – uh, one, the comments you mentioned being backwards by Cassidy, I think if if we're reading between the lines, that was the perfect example of him wanting to say, like, hey, Sweeney, get me better players, but he can't. So he reverts to saying, well, we have to be a good defensive team because we can't score to save our, you know, our bleeping lives right now. And it's true, they can't, but you're right that the thinking is backward. But I've seen enough of Bruce to think that, that I I don't know that he really buys into that even though he said it. The other thing too, is you mentioned like, you know, the whispers about locker room issues and all of that. And I don't know if I can say this nicely, but I'll try. Uh, people really need to be careful about how much they're buying into stuff they see online or they're hearing from a third or fourth party or whatever about that. You'd think or from a podcast. Yeah. Including us. <laughs> like vet, <laughs> You know, vet, vet sources. And I understand fans aren't journalists or anything like that, but like, you know, I, I, I heard the whispers. I had people reach out to me. I had stuff like that. But just because people are saying that doesn't mean it's true. You know, and I'm not an insider. I don't pretend to be by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, 
if you've been a fan long enough, and I know some of our listeners are older than I am, as crazy as that is, like this happens all the time. <laughs> like it, just because someone's saying it does not mean it's true. And, you know, his teammates came out and immediately, you know, just stomped that fire out. Just, I don't know. I guess I'm saying here, like, even if they have a blue check mark or not, it doesn't mean that that what they're saying is necessarily true. So just, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, including some of the dumb stuff I'd probably say. I don't know. But that's it on McAvoy. Like I said, I think think we need to be more patient and understand that uh, the occasional mistake doesn't, doesn't, you know, erase all the good stuff he does when he's on the ice. Um, we'll switch gears a little bit here. You know, we sort of went heavy on the defense. A um, little, little lighthearted, I guess, but the Patriots, you know, just won their millionth Super Bowl in the last, you know, 10, 15 years here. Um, we're, we're definitely spoiled here. You know, we poke fun, of course, about, uh, you know, other cities and everything, but it is great to be able to watch, you know, championships here, whether it's been the Red Sox or the Patriots or even the Celtics going back. Um, but or even what passed for football on Sunday. Yeah, that was – I don't care what anyone yeah. says. That was not entertaining. Fight me. It was I, – I think it was entertaining for everyone's dad who played, like, offensive line in high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, offensive line or fullback. Defense! Yeah, like – Low scoring! Uh, running the ball! Like, that sort of I'll thing. listen to someone's take that it was a good game. That's fine. But if you try and tell me it's entertaining, uh, to each their own. I don't really enjoy watching punts every six minutes, but, um, but what I wanted to get at Iowa state football is not for you. Yeah. <laughs> I do enjoy football, but uh, you know, everyone, everyone's uh, offensively inclined these days, but I did want to say, and you know, we're probably not the first to think of this, but uh, just quickly who out of the four major Bruins sports team or Boston sports teams, do you think is most likely to win a, a championship next? I'm going to put five, and I say Boston Pride because they're actually very good. And it's very hard to say, looking, just watching them, having gone to a game and watching them play, um, I don't know how anyone's going to beat them because they're just, it's not just that they're talented, it's that they're all in sync and they all know exactly what they're going to do and they know their strategy like it's like back of their hand. Um, really, the only thing that they can just hope for is that Bird heats up and it'll be smooth sailing. They'll probably have a great uh, time in the Isabel Cup playoffs. And I bet you they're going to bring home a championship. I'd... We might have to go all the way to, I don't know, June. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. For I some know. of you younger yeah. fans, it's tough. Please stay, stay with me. Another championship will come. Yeah, I don't know if we can make it that long. That's that's rough. And uh, I did like some of the uh, you know current and, and former Pride players throwing a little bit of shade at uh, various outlets or whoever about not including the Pride's championship uh, in sort of the the roundup of Bruins championships over the last couple of decades. And that that's definitely a good call um, with the Pride. So we, we all caught a game. If you didn't see that the other day, I highly recommend checking it out. Tickets are affordable. It's at Warrior Arena. Um, they don't they don't check anything at the door, by the way. People are going to misinterpret that. <laughs> no. Um, but it's a good time, and they deserve your support. Um, so definitely get a chance to check that out. Um, Absolutely. For me, I if you take the timing of when seasons are played out of it, um, 
I guess I'd go with the Patriots again, just because I think like on a probability, they're the most likely, they're the most dominant of the the four major teams, at least. Um, but I think both the Celtics and the Red Sox are, are legitimate contenders as well. So it's sort of a cop-out, but I, I could see either of them. The one that I don't think is, unfortunately for all of us, it, is the Bruins. I don't, I don't see them winning uh, this year, at least. And Sean, I don't know if you watch uh, all the sports. I know you're not a Pats fan, boo. But uh, did you have a particular team you think is closest? Um, I don't know. I've been following the NBA quite as much as I probably should because that's such an entertaining league. Um, but from what I'm gathering with people like talking about it in group chats, um, hasn't been going well for the Celtics. Uh, not necessarily record wise, but like they need a couple pieces and they're not going to get them. Um, so I guess we'll take the Celtics out. I mean, I really like the the Red Sox chances this year. Um, I mean, hockey's so random. You just don't know if the if the Bruins have a legitimate chance. Um, they don't seem to right now, but like they could. But I don't know. I'm gonna go with Red Sox with the with the repeat. Like I said, I yeah, I like that. Yep, yeah, same. I I think they have a legitimate chance. I mean. Like said, with the Patriots, they've just been so dominant. It seems that they're the most likely. And like, God, it, it would just piss off so many people. Oh, I'm sure. I so want that. I just love – it has become my favorite thing on the internet is everyone, especially on main site, just going, Ugh, Boston is so good at sports. It makes me mad. Yeah, it's, it's my favorite part of the whole experience. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword for me because I, I'm weird. Everyone knows that, but – like I really, really care about like trying to be objective about things to the point where I honestly annoy the crap out of a lot of people. I get that. But like I part <laughs> I partly like no, I really? enjoy the the sort of whining and ranting about the Patriots, but I also like legitimately hate all of the like straw men and like ridiculous cheating comments and all that stuff by people who don't even understand like Spygate or anything. Yeah, well then my answer to that is make have a better team. Yeah, I mean, like we have, have a better AFC. We that's the answer to this question. We get that, but uh, you see, otherwise, like really intelligent and objective people, just like totally melt down when it comes to the Patriots. Like they just can't handle it. They hate them. And like I said, that's, that's entertaining. So good, entertaining no. on some level, but sometimes it can be a little much. I don't know. That, uh, that's just my take. It to my veins. Look <laughs> that hate to my veins. Um, but I mean. Like I said, I, I could see literally any of them, even the, the Bruins, to Sean's point. You know, we all know hockey is pretty random. And even though I think Maybe. we all agree that they're currently not really a contender, that doesn't mean they couldn't go out and win the cup this year. They very, very well could. Maybe Solaric just, lo- just loses his mind in the playoffs and plays lights out. Yeah. Maybe he just scores every game. Yeah, free celery, baby. <laughs> look at the Islanders. I mean, yeah. they should be where they are and, and look at them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good... I mean, anything's possible with hockey. It's kind of why we watch it. So, oh hell yeah, I'm totally for whatever crazy nonsense happens towards the end of this season that gets I don't know who into the playoffs or desperate or not. That's that's kind of it's that's the best part of the game. That's literally partly why I mean hockey's the best sport in, in the world, anyways. But that's partly why I enjoy it so much, even when it's not the Bruins, is that I really enjoy it. It's not 
the same team necessarily every year. It's not Gold State Warriors. You know, I, I like that, that, you know, it's almost a flip of a coin even between, you know, good teams or whatever. So that's always been appealing to me. I know not everyone feels that way, but um, it would be great to see the Bruins win another cup, you know, soon or at least in my lifetime. I was I was in Iraq when they won their only one during my lifetime. So it would be great to get to a Bruins championship parade here. I want to on a quick hit on a couple of things that I have. Um, we'll call them Collins criticisms about many rants here. The first is TD Garden is is undergoing a pretty massive and probably overdue renovation to just about Long everything. Um, Sky Sky for sure knows that he's at most of the games, um, and it's great. I'm glad they're getting better seats and all of that stuff, and there'll be cooler bars or whatever. You know, like it's great. I guess. There's going to be more, the way more important thing is that there's going to be places where these enemies of freedom go to stand out on the concourse and do nothing. (laughs) Those people can go disappear into some hole somewhere, sit down, eat some food. I don't know, talk about whether or not they're going to be at Thanksgiving with each other, where they will, again, stand around in the hallway and do nothing. But that more than anything is the only thing I've wanted uh, throughout my entire uh, experience of being an STH is just if there's one thing I'd ever change it's just move all those people to the back wall or get them the heck out of there because they're just clogging up an already clogged concourse there's you know 17,000 people running around there and you the reprobate standing there are making it worse for everyone else. God. Yeah, you have I'm just, like, just, just if, you know, some strong feelings there. If, 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 if I knew which wall they were knocking down to make this happen, I'd come to the next game with a sledgehammer to help out. I uh, say, Suraz, <laughs> where, do you need, where do you need this to go? I really have two rants I, uh, that I thought of. One, I'd like cheaper beer which is never going to happen. But, you know, on the off chance that I catch a game as a fan, uh, don't love spending $14 for, for domestic or whatever. But my real rant and one that I like seriously, TD Garden, Jacob's family, whoever, if you're listening, you got to get like some tall, tall boy seats here for me, man. I'm six foot five, 260 pounds. Like I, I, I am, <laughs> I'm a big guy. And when I sit, you know, when I'm not in the press box and I'm c- c- catching a game with my wife or as a fan or with Sky or like whatever, it literally hurts. Like it, my, I, my legs are so long that I get bruises on my shins and my knees, which I know is a first world problem catching a $300 Bruins game. But like it, it's bad, man. Like I'll pay more. It's like an, an airplane flight. Like, you know, everyone complains right. about that too. But, you know, I'm that big that I, I really, I can't fit in the seats and even sideways and I'm throwing elbows at people next to me and, like I, you already you already charge too much for it, you know, as it is. But I'll pay more, man, so I don't, you know, start bleeding from my kneecaps because I pressed into the seat in front of me and, you know, ruining that guy or that lady's time too. So that'd be cool if in the hundred million dollars you're going to spend on this or whatever it is, you know, they they put a couple, a couple big boy seats in there for guys my size, and I'm not the only one. So please, TD Garden, listen to us and also help Sky out and move these people to the back, for God's sake. Or just move, remove them entirely. That would make my life. <laughs> hey, they're paying just paying customers. You know. Yeah, and they can pay for the seats <laughs> that they got. What, 
yeah, this, this I wasn't actually planning on talking about this, but this one just like blows my mind. And one of the big things that they're sort of like, you know, really pushing heavily here is the uh, what is it, the Legends or Rafters Club or whatever. Yes, and, which that's my project this semester. Uh, this uh, yeah, this semester. Am I stealing your thunder here, Sean? Well, hang on ahead. If he's well, if he's got this thing, then I think you should. That uh, Sean should discuss this. No, I had to write like a. Th- uh, thirty-page marketing plan in, for Raptors. I mean, I chose it, but I was like, "Oh, yeah, I'm interested in this." So why yeah, not? Middle, middle school so, yeah, got a lot tougher uh, since I graduated. It, that sounds oh, like geez. a lot. <laughs> of but yeah, I'm gonna have to like. I was gonna say like we could rent out the Raptors studios for a game. I'm sure it'll only be like two hundred thousand bucks a game. Yeah, it'll be all them. Co- corporate sponsor too. But we like, can just, but yeah, we can just ask. We can just ask uh, SBN Maine to uh, cover exactly. the bill. Exactly, that's what I was sure, thinking. Sure. That's a corporate. <laughs> that's a corporate. Yeah, uh, Vox Media to pay up. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. This is just like an opinion, like full opinion, not fact or anything. So take it for what it's worth. But we, all three of us are, are very intimately familiar with the press box. You know, we all cover games, all of that. And that's essentially where that new, like, you know, club or whatever we're calling it is going. They're adding, like, a row of seats on the, what is it, the seventh floor or ninth floor? I always get this wrong. I think I'd know. It's, it's the, the like I, It's the seventh. I'm only there. Here you go. The studios are on the ninth. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, you do not want to sit that high. I'm telling you this, like, as someone who covers games, they're... At the, at the press box? Yeah, no, oh. it's, it's not. I like Oh, see, this this is why I'm saying I mean, it's opinion. Well, Everywhere for those of us with for those of us who are within who are not of a certain age, <laughs> I'm sure it's very difficult to adjust your bifocals to see. But frankly, if you're going up there, I think that that club is going to be there just for the rich to show up and say, "I went to a Bruins game." I don't, oh, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't think yeah, any no of the people who go to those are gonna give a rat's ass about whether or not they actually paid attention to the game i don't know i went does well it's gonna have, I went, it's gonna have a, a, a like a full-fledged like private bar and and they're gonna have oh well, they said unique foods i gotta figure out what that means and they're gonna get the free, uh, free but, popcorn and pretzels from the press box it's unique <laughs> well the, the watermelon candy the watermelon candy like, hey, those are good the, or to die yeah those are good oh absolutely <laughs> um yeah, I mean that's just gonna that's like a it's the equivalent of a luxury box in football. But you're I even mean, higher up. We, they already have the luxury I, boxes. They're just going up, you know, two floors or whatever. Luxury, no. They're not really luxury, are oh, they? Yeah. Like I think oh, you have your own you have your own bartender. Yeah, they they're they're pretty nice. I don't know. They're trying to like sell the whole thing that you're up in the rafters with like all the Celtics and Bruins banners, which like I don't quite understand yeah, that i'll, I'll send everyone a, that's a photo of it and see it calling it raptor studios yeah teach their own because i think it'll be more corporate and you know like richie rich type stuff but all i'm asking for is like a couple tall tall boy seats here and some cheaper beer that's all i want but uh yeah good for them like so td garden's long long overdue maybe they'll fix the elevators which is a very like niche oh, niche press issue I would, here but i i would get down on my hands and knees and thank jeremy jacobs every day in prayer if he did that <laughs> for those who like i don't if you've ever caught a like i caught a bill burr concert up in the press box once and it was bill burr's awesome but the like i said i the seats are terrible but the elevators are legitimately the slowest elevators i've ever been on anywhere in my entire life 
like, and you know, we, we're not here to complain about being pressed. We all enjoy what we do. It's great. But like, they're, they're really bad. Like we're not exaggerating this. It takes forever to get up and down and you have to obviously to get to the locker rooms and all that too. So that would be great if they could uh, update those. So we're just, we have a long wish list here of stuff that we would like to put on Jeremy's uh, tab here. But um, I have one more quick rant in me that all of you in our Slack channel have already heard over and over and over again. But my boy, Riley Nash, you know, I'm so, I'm so sick of the Riley Nash only has five points in Columbus talk. Like, I feel like my brain starts bleeding. Everyone's every time someone says that to me, like, Oh yeah, he, he wouldn't help. He has five points. Like, yeah, Riley Nash would still be your third best center on this team. And I will fight anyone who's <laughs> who says that not literally our lawyers will jump in here, but like, just because he's not performing in a new city for, you know, a half season's worth of games does not mean that all of a sudden the Monstars stole all of his talent and he's just this husk of a player. We know what he is. We know what he would do in Boston because he already did it here in Boston. And like, there's this weird, like lack of logic in people's brains where like they think he went to Columbus and he's just like, he's dead. He's not a real player anymore. He sucks. Like, nah, he would still be good. And I didn't say they should re-sign him when he left. I literally wrote that they probably should not because of how much it would cost. But when they gave John Moore the same amount of money over five years versus three years for Riley Nash, like I 100% would rather have Riley Nash as your third-line center this year over John Moore as your, like, seventh or eighth defenseman. So, like, again, I will metaphorically fight anyone who wants to come at me with Riley Nash nonsense. Uh, He's my dude. And I don't care that he has five points in Columbus. He's I playing, mean, playing could, for a madman. Who could have possibly guessed that playing with Marcus Hanakainen and Lucas Sedlak might actually be detrimental to your performance? They're not who among us? <laughs> and being coached by an actual crazy person. Yeah, an actual madman. And not even playing center. They sign this guy for three years and they're like, ah, you're going to be a wing, left wing, right wing, just yeah, whatever. Like, oh, yeah, I wonder why he's not performing in a team that barely has any structure and a guy who's throwing chairs at you every two seconds. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm probably being too defensive of Riley Nash here, but the point still stands. Like, he absolutely would be your best, third best center on this team, and it wouldn't make you a contender, but you'd be better off than you are right now. So that's my rant. Please stop coming at me, yeah. Twitter randos, with your terrible Riley Nash takes. They're awful. Just stop. You feel <laughs> better about yourself now. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah, it helps. Okay, it's cathartic good, good. to get it out there a it's little bit. To, you know. Now the healing can begin. <laughs> Supporting my uh, my fellow <laughs> redhead here. But uh, we, uh, we'll, we'll dive into hopefully probably one last topic here because we're, uh, we're already over the or about the hour mark here. But uh, actually, too, I wanted to touch on how you thought uh, Solaric looks in his limited time as well as uh, Trent Frederick in his limited time. Um, and then we'll, we'll go into, I think, uh, what I think is a really interesting topic to close out um, in DeBrusque versus Heinen, which I've been sort of harping on on Twitter a little bit. But to, to dive back into the Solaric and Frederick, um, I'm curious just like high level evaluations of each, obviously different positions and, and different usage for sure. But uh, I like what I've seen out of Solaric so far and and less so out of Trent Frederick, you know, his, his Chuck and Nux notwithstanding there. <laughs> um, Solaric's been all right. I mean, he's scoring like 
you're noticing him more. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not necessarily like, you know, some dominant presence, but I think he's played pretty well. And then, yeah, I, I haven't been too happy with Frederick. I think he's just – he can't keep up with the pace of the game, really, to me. One, in his skating speed, and then two, his play recognition. He just can't quite – he's not fast enough to make the reads that he needs to be at place X, you know, quick enough. And so he's just not playing great defensively, in my opinion. So I haven't been happy with Frederick and Solar's been all right. All right, um, I'll, I'll let Sky dive in before I, I say my piece on this. I am very happy with Peter Solark. I've been one of his biggest, low-key one of his biggest uh, supporters. because uh, Highest key. <laughs> the highest key possible. Dogs are barking because of this yeah. key. Um, I really, he really should, in my opinion, he really should have made the team out of camp. Agreed. Um, he really should have yeah. been a player that they should have taken a chance at. I don't know what they thought they were going to get out of all the other players that they've, you know, rotated through that role. But, you know, just going through um, hockey viz, you know, going through the, um, through the five on five shots, you know, he's rarely, if ever been below the bad before below the uh, bad line, which is the big red line through this diagonal graph that that it, look i'm not look i'm not smart i can't explain I, this is an audio this is an audio medium i'm trying to explain a visual look, we got you we long story yeah. short he has he's always shot his competition is competition which is way yes he has always outshot his competition he has always looked very good and when he scores it, you know he's scored some pretty impressive goals in my opinion and if he can just he can just pace that frankly isn't going to look so impressive now because of how late he came into the season but he just you know keeps at it plays his game uh i think he will be he will be one of those people that we go oh my gosh how did they find this guy even though we all kind of knew this was where thing where he should have been um i do agree that frederick has been i don't know if it's just him but i think that that third line in general um, as much as he's looked uh, fun from a, you know, a heart standpoint, from a eye test standpoint, where he's, you know, back checking like a like a mother and just, you know, playing his heart out. He does look slow, and more importantly, it doesn't look like he really has that much offensive punch. And on a line that's already having a lot of trouble scoring, nope. He's not great, and it's it, he's. I don't think he's what he need, what they need right now. And controversial take. And yes, I know that objectively speaking, the player that I would that I would maybe sub in is far worse. But honestly, I get what JFK is doing better than I think Trent Frederick's doing because I just don't think that his game plan is actually going to create any scoring chances. Yeah, yeah I, I have so. not been subtle, I guess, not like really intentionally, but I am not a big JFK believer. Um, I haven't been, you know, ever since, you know, he sort of came into the pipeline or anything. I'm still not. 
that being said, I agree with you, Sky, that even though I don't think JFK brings much of anything to the table at this point in his career, he probably brings more than we've seen out of Frederick. And I say that like fully respectfully and acknowledging, you know, I even said this on Twitter that my expectations for Frederick were, were basically non-existent. It was a thing where if they wanted to bring him up and he looked good, great. If he didn't, that's okay too, because he's a young kid and it's his first NHL minutes. Like I'm not, I'm not here like, you know, crapping all over the kid. He's young. He'll, he'll progress. But right now he's, he's not an NHL player. And I think to Sean's point, you know, he, he trails plays. There's nothing in particular that stands out that even looks adequate at the NHL level to me, other than, you know, his ability to beat the crap out of people apparently, um, which was entertaining, I guess, but you know, that's not really what we need out of our third line center right now is, is, you know, fun as it was for some people. So I, I think that that experiment might be over sooner rather than later. It might be JFK that comes back or it might be a trade acquisition for three C or whoever, but I, he's not, he's not ready yet and that's fine, but he's not there in my opinion. It's fine. On Providence is there. Yeah, for exactly. Reason. Like, you know, it's his first full pro season, you know, he'll progress. I don't know what his, his ceiling is. I'm not even going to pretend to, we haven't seen enough of them. Whereas with JFK, I feel slightly more confident and, and, you know, making proclamations on that. But in him, we've seen him for like five games. It's not enough. Um, on Solaric, I'm obviously a big Solaric guy, as is Sky, as are quite a few of us at Chowder. We've been sort of ranting and raving about him for probably a couple couple of years at this point. But Free he, him. he has four points to three goals and one assist in the seven games he's played. His, again, all this is such a small sample size that it, it's it's dangerous to buy into it too much. But all the statistics look pretty good, even though he's, you know, very, very favorable offensive usage. You know, he's great possession numbers. He's producing at over 40 point, you know, per season pace. And granted, he's also getting to play alongside Krejci. Like, that's a big part of it. He's being used offensively. You would hope he would produce, but we've seen other players put in that role and they haven't. And so at a minimum, he's been better than what they've had. Whether or not he'll pan out to be anything special, I don't know. He's 20. 23 and a half almost. So it's not like he's super young either, but I think if he's given the right role, he can be a legit, you know, I guess scoring winger that might sound a little too much of a hot take, but I've liked what I've seen. You know, he uses his size pretty well. He does battle along the boards for however much that's worth in reality. Um, Sacrifices like a mother. Yeah. I I don't think he looks at a place and I don't expect him to come up and you know score at a 30 goal pace or whatever like just come up and be more than what we got at Donato or Bjork or like whoever and I think he's done that so far and that may wear off like he did just go I think three games without scoring but I don't think he looked bad in them and again the eye test is flawed all of that I get it but like I there were games with like Donato in particular who I was very high on coming coming into the Bruins and all that, but like there are games where like you, you either don't notice him at all in like a a totally negative way, or he's just, he looks so bad out there that like, it's hard to not notice him. And I don't think I've really noticed that much with Solaric so far. So two thumbs up, I guess, at least in terms of what I had expected from him so far, you know, happy he's doing pretty well. Um, And then, you know, I, I lied. I had one more topic I have to rant about. I just have to get it off my chest. But we'll dive into the the DeBrusque versus Heinen struggle. So this is something Sean and I have talked about quite a bit, um, just between he and I. But there seems to be this this narrative-driven thing where, 
you know, Heinen is sort of a scapegoat and Heinen's not performing and all this. And he hasn't, obviously he has like 13 points or whatever it is. And he obviously is a well-rounded player. I, I like him a lot, even when he's not scoring, I think he brings value to the team, but lost in all that is the fact that Jake DeBrusque really hasn't been better. And people are going to like, you know, tear their headphones out in disgust at that hot take, but he, he really has not been better. And when you factor in that he's played exclusively on the second line, you know, with better players than Heinen has, I sort of look at that almost as being worse. Like he's put in that role and he's really not playing or not, not producing well. And I, I, I'm curious on your thoughts. I already sort of know Sean's, but I'll let him sort of reiterate here too, because I think we all really like DeBrusque and I think we all like Heinen too. But what I'm getting at here is there seems to be this double standard where DeBrusque is sort of not catching a lot of the flack that Heinen is absolutely catching. He obviously just sat out two games and, it's an interesting like dichotomy to me that that one is is getting a pass more so than the other. I mean, they're good at different things, right? So like Heinen isn't an offensive player. Like that's did you? Yeah, you revealed your um, I have hidden. No, nope. but you you can go because by the time we release this, we'll be good. Yeah. So, I mean, you posted them side by side, and that's a longer term. That's 730 days, but Heinen was, you know, had by far, like, the better results. But, you know, Heinen's, like, a terrific defensive player, and almost all of his value comes from that. Like, he's just, like, especially watch his stick next time, next time you watch. Like, he's just, he's terrific defensively, and he's not an offensive player, so it's not flashy. And, yeah, especially when you're playing with, you know, lower quality of teammates, you're going to drop in terms of production. But, I mean, he always tends to control play at least better than um, better than his teammates do, like, when they're away from him. So, you know, Hayden's been – he's been good all year. He just hasn't put in, you know, the pucks. And then DeBrusque is more offensive and – Clearly, that hasn't come. But I mean, part of that might be because he spent like significant time on his off wing, mm-hmm. and then like last year, he also had Ryan Spooner there, which I know a lot of Bruins fans like to go after the fact now that um, Spooner is like no longer in the NHL. He's in the or he is right. He's still in, he's in the yes. AHL. Yeah. Right, he's in Vegas. Yes, he is now in the AHL. I said that, but um, you know, like Spooner was. Never good defensively with the Bruins, and it showed. You can go on and on about that. Like, but he was always a good offensive player, and so you have two very good distributors to the puck playing with you. You're going to look like a lot better than you know, and produce a lot more points. And Rush hasn't had that. He's been put in a position where he sort of had to drive play, and that hasn't worked terrific. It's been like a lot of low to high play, and he's in front of that. He really plays within the system, and it's not the greatest system. I've heard about that before, but you know he plays correctly within the system, and it costs him. And and I think DeBrusque has a lot of talent and a bright future, but right now, like it's just not working out too that, well. That's the, you know the takeaway here is not that any of us here are being too critical or like hating on either of them. We like both players. I mean, it's hard not to like DeBrusque too. Like, you know, but the, again, I, I want to reiterate the point here is that 
like a lot of my rants are are driven by this like misperception with fan and, and media that you know certain players escape criticism while other ones don't like they both scored at a similar rate you know or produced at a similar rate last year they're both good young players just it's interesting to me that like we're we're so quick to to scratch and and jump all over Heinen and not DeBrusque. And I do agree. And like I said, Sean and I have talked about this sort of at length, you know, outside of the podcast, but like the offsides or excuse me, the offside usage with DeBrusque, I think like that experiment probably needs to end at this point. I'm sure he's willing to do it. You know, hockey players will do whatever the coach says normally, but he doesn't look comfortable to me. I don't know. Like, and if you got even close to what DeBrusque gave you last year, that would be huge. So I'm curious to see if that lasts or, or what Bruce will do with that. But my takeaway of this is to to maybe look with a little more objective eye the next time you're slamming Heinen for not scoring, <laughs> because it's not just Heinen. It, it's been sort of up and down the, the roster and, and DeBrusque as well. I mean, I mean, Heinen hasn't been scoring great, but that line as a as a rule this year has just been awful. Just as a unit, it's been fair. It's either been heavily, heavily policed where Bruce will eat, will just take away their minutes at the drop of a hat if anyone does anything wrong. And, you know, some, a lot of the time, Heinen has also had players who aren't exactly great offensively or can't really um, handle things together. So I don't know what – I think the best theory on what happened to DeBrusque is that he's been playing his off-wing – and that's been causing him some trouble, which I think if, you know, you start to trust Peter Solarik a little more, you might be able to switch him back because, you know, he's a pure winger. He can play either side. But with Heinen, I mean, he's, he's exactly what uh, Sean said. He's profoundly, he's profoundly, he's purely defense. He, he's a player who, is best used probably in defensive contexts. And I'm curious to see if they, you know, maybe give it a shot uh, later down the line. But I think this is, in my opinion, I think this is just rookie woes. Um, I think they've been occasionally put in uh, positions where they're not going to succeed. And a part of, and that is part of, you know, going through your sophomore slumps is, you know, sometimes you are thrown into positions that the coach thinks you can, you can handle and then you can't. Yeah, absolutely. And it happens. Absolutely. So, I mean, for I mean, for all we know, Jake DeBrus could heat up tonight, and that would and that'd be the end of that. And Danton Heinen would get like a million years worth of uh, penalty kill time, and they'd be unstoppable. That's it's the nature of the sport that sometimes people regress and or bad luck happens. I think that DeBrusque is. Whenever I think that DeBrusque is starting to have a bad time, he turns it on or he does something truly like almost borderline terrifying where he manages to create a scoring play. And I go, well, there, there's your answer. He's just, he just needs to have those moments happen. And yeah, Sean brought it up here. Uh, he has, he's been a very low to high player throughout the entire year and I feel like that if he was given a little more creativity or at least a little more leeway I bet you he'd probably do a lot better so 
I say just put these guys in better positions to succeed and they'll do better. Yeah, like I said, that I am, I'm sure you both are as well. We're we're all bullish on both of them long term. Like I would hate to see either of them traded away for less than, you know, what their actual value is. But you know, it's it is hard to distinguish how much is like you said, sophomore struggle, how much is that they haven't had consistent line mates or haven't had good line mates or whatever. But like I said, I just it I always find these sort of things really interesting in that we we as a fan base zoom in on one player and, and sort of blame them and, and we don't focus on, you know, other potentially deserving players as well. Um, my last rant I will save, I think we'll probably end up doing a a deadline special episode um, before the deadline comes, uh, maybe touching on some trades that have happened or trades we'd like to see. Cough, cough, Bruins should have traded for Nino, cough. Um, but I did want I, I can't help it, but like we all know the David Backus deal was terrible, right? Like the second it was signed, I was like, this is terrible. And I know other people obviously felt the same. Like it, if you're even like intelligent and follow the sport, it should, it should have been obvious that that was a bad deal. And then we see that, you know, Don Sweeney was all in on trying to get Ilya Kovalchuk in the off season. And I'm sorry, I am just like, dying laughing about that now where people he's getting this pass from the fan base when Kovalchuk has been a disaster for the Kings is signed for two more years and has a full has a no movement clause in, at like in fairness has anyone been a success on the Kings this no, year but he, like they have just been a general nightmare. I don't know if you've looked at like his relative numbers or like his underlying he is like abysmal like I'm not exaggerating he is awful like you can look at the skater charts, you can look at Micah's stuff, you can look at any of it. He is like legitimately bad, and it's only going to get worse with age. Like he's not young, and like I don't understand how, you know, fans aren't legitimately angry about this. Like the Bacchus deal has has caused all sorts of issues for the Bruins from a cap standpoint, from being able to make trades, all of that. And we would have hoped that Sweeney would have learned from that, but instead, like four months ago, he was trying to sign. A- Kovalchuk to a two or three year deal. Like he didn't learn. He's, he's doing the same thing over again. It's the Bacchus deal, but almost worse because Bacchus is actually a better player right now than Kovalchuk has been. And like I, I'm, I'm veering off into rant territory. I know that, but like if you're a Bruins fan and you think Sweeney's doing a good job, I respect your opinion on that. Like I'm not going to change your opinion, but I do wish you would look at this and say like, maybe he shouldn't be swinging for the fences because it looks more like Bolesky, Bacchus and Kovalchuk than Panarin and Stone or whoever. Well, again, we don't know what this market looks like. So for all we know, and further know, we furthermore, uh, Panarin has been, I think been taken off the table entirely. I don't know to the extent of the injury that I had heard that he had. So, I think he's still he's still all, available. I think, but whether okay. or not they'll actually, but, you know, trade him, I don't know. But like the well, I mean, the, I'd be shocked if either him or Bobrovsky didn't leave the the Blue Jackets. But you know, this is a tough time to be a GM because you know if if you if you if you miss, you're gonna really miss, and you're gonna be stuck with the guy. It's gonna be very difficult to. Uh, to move on from it's going to be tough to move on from the mistakes you make yeah yeah so, they, they, yep 
the back is sort of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have to, you have to be, you have to either really strike out or like make a you have to hit a home run or you have to have a player so useless and so underwhelming that it doesn't even matter the amount that you gave up for them. I find as far as I find I'm a good concerned. way to not strike out is to not swing at 35 year old players who haven't played in the NHL for half a decade. How, that's just my strategy. Well, <laughs> Everyone's different. I mean, yeah. to, to be fair to Don Sweeney, he was not the only guy. No, he wasn't. There were plenty of other, there were plenty of other plenty good teams that were willing to do that and probably hit the same mistakes. Yeah, they, I actually went back Which, and was looking at this earlier to see what the consensus was to make sure I was remembering correctly. And it was the Knights, the Sharks, the Bruins, and the Kings were the, the teams that were all heavily mentioned. And like, shame on every one of them. <laughs> like, there was no way that Kovalchuk was going to be good enough to justify the risk that you would be taking on as a team. Even if you were paying him lesser money or, you know, a second year, which is what I I believe Sweeney was trying to get Kovalchuk was for two years, not three, but like he, they really believed he was going to come in and be Kovalchuk from, you know, like 2009 Devils. Like, no. We never, we never knew. We, I mean, obviously the red flags of swinging at a 35 year old was a, is there, but who knows? Maybe he ends up in a system that's just all aggression all the time and he can handle that, but that's not the system that he ended up in. And so, I'm not super surprised this happened, but I'm I'm not going to say that this is this isn't an un this isn't something that you would be blindsided by. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like I feel real strongly about this that the fact that Sweeney was intent on getting Kovalchuk is a sign that he has not learned that much from his mistakes. Like and again, I respect other people's opinions on this, but like in a vacuum, if you hadn't signed Bacchus. I'd probably be a lot more lenient towards that because I understand, like, you think maybe he can still be an effective player and it's your championship window and you go for it. But it's the same argument, like, as the Nash thing. Like, no, but you did sign Bacchus and you did trade a first-round pick for, for Rick Nash and you did well, all these things and, like, you, you have to live with it. At the same time, if you didn't sign the Bacchus contract, which it feels like this is just all running back to maybe da- signing David Bacchus was a bad maybe. idea. Had you not signed him probably be in a way better spot. You'd probably just be thinking about what you could use that cap space for so that you have more options, which I think is way more important. Yeah. And you could have had Tavares maybe or whatever, but the point is like you did do that and you're still trying to basically do the exact same thing over and expect a different result. Essentially. That's my take. Yeah. Yep. And that's why, like, the fans, you know, in my mentions are all like, they need to make a big trade. And I'm like, I, I get it. I get where you're coming from as a fan. But as long as Don Sweeney is is at the helm there, I would be a little hesitant Skeptical. about, you know, wishing that on for this team. Like I said, their, their big swings have been misses more often than they've been hits, you know, in his tenure. And people think I'm being unfair. I get that. Whatever. Everyone has their take on Sweeney. I don't think he's batted, you know, all around. He's done good things. But when it comes to his trades and his free agent signings, I would be, I'd be leery if, if I was a, a Bruins fan. But we've, we've gone long here. Um, definitely a long episode. It's good to be back. Covered a lot of topics. Um, if you aren't already, feel free to, uh, to follow each of us. You can follow Sean at the Sean Ferris. You can follow me until you realize my Twitter is terrible at C Beswick. 
Um, and you can follow Sky at Sky on Air, um, as well as um, if you should already, but you can follow the main page at Cup of Chowder and uh, the podcast page at SB Unsupervised. Um, as always, love your feedback. Um, good, bad, in between. We're open to it. Um, appreciate listening and appreciate uh, Sky and Sean for joining us. Hey, it was fun. Yeah, we try. Can't wait. We can't wait to do it again. Yeah, you, you, you brought some positivity. You held up your end of the bargain. And I think I brought the negativity. I think we did it. Have the Bruins made a good trade in the last three years or, or four years, however long what, it's been? What, you don't think Ronaldo for uh, a third was a good trade? No, but you said misses um, more than not, and I can't think of a win. Yeah, no, I, I, I was trying to be nice, but if I you mean, you can swing, you can swing at <laughs> every, you can swing at every pitch. You're just gonna get struck out at three. I was thinking about this like earlier this afternoon, 2015-16, the third line, none of the players play in the NHL anymore. Uh... It was Bolesky, Spooner, and Jimmy Hayes. Oh. I, uh, this is not a big trade, and but I, I don't. I think it was a good trade. I think as much as I like legitimately loved the player, uh, the McQuaid trade was a good trade. I think like not a big trade. But, oh, yeah, but that's not, yeah, exactly. That's not a big trade. But like the Rick Nash trade, I will go to my legit deathbed yelling that that was a mistake. I don't think it's gonna be that bad. I don't think it's gonna be that bad. I I, I really didn't like the Nash trade. You guys already know that. Like I'm go, I'm looking at the list here. I know, but I'm just saying. How can you- I think when you look back on it, it's not gonna be like. Terrible. Uh, like, it depends it, on what they do this year, right? Like, because you can't trade or you shouldn't trade a first again. Like, it's not like they have a great should, farm system either. Definitely don't want to. I think the the loot sheet mm-hmm. trade was probably the last trade they made that was both big and good. That's, that's right. The two trades are no. I mean, I I wasn't happy with the Dougie Hamilton trade, but like, you at least got the compensation. I wasn't happy when I saw that they were giving him five point five and Bruins wouldn't pay that. Yeah, right. we. <laughs> Like I thought it was like, although any any number that Hamilton would have got would have probably been worth it. But anywho, like that wasn't terrible. And then you're also moving into like a wicked good draft, right? So like you could have taken like Shabbat there, like blah blah blah. Like you could have taken a good player there. But then yeah, the the Miller, Colin Miller, um, uh, what's it Martin Jones? And a first round pick, and they turned Martin Jones into a first round pick. And Corrali. So yeah. A legit first round, um, or uh, you got a legit first pair of defensemen in Colin Miller. You gave up, but yes. Yeah, I gave him up during the uh, expansion draft, which they could have picked anything. And, um, and you got, you could potentially got to bring it. And then you could potentially got you know like Shabbat or like any other player that should have gone there at fifteen, and instead they wasted it. Yeah, I mean we that's that's like a full episode we could go through not just Shirelli or not just uh, Sweeney but the Shirelli era too. And like this was a pretty heated uh, argument in our Slack chat not that long ago. Um, I would I was arguing that Shirelli wasn't a good GM when he was here either, and that's like apparently a hot take, but he wasn't. And there's a lot of Sweeney, there's a lot of Shirelli and Sweeney too, and people are going to think that's a hot take too. I'm not saying they're the same, 
Sweeney is a better GM than Shirelli is, obviously. But they they have a lot of the same characteristics and overvaluing depth players and uh, that sort of stuff. So and there's been a constant too with Scott Bradley. Yeah. Mm. Like nobody, like everybody likes to talk about like uh, how Scott Bradley like said like Tyler Sagan doesn't fit the system, which like I get it. It's like a TV show. Like don't put too much <laughs> into that. Like he's been a constant over like all of these terrible dealings of young players. So was Whether it was Sagan. Hamilton, um, Miller, whether it's not taking Barzell, Kyle Connor, Shabbat, whatever it is. Like, and that's what's supposed to be what he's like specializing in. Like he's completely just destroyed these players, like these terrific. We're players. losing listeners by the second here. We're just, we're just bringing up, bringing up all, <laughs> all this negative stuff here. Yeah. I, like I said, maybe someday we will. I mean, if I ever get to writing again. I'd love to just do like an exhaustive like history of Shirelli and Sweeney's moves, free agent and and re-signing and stuff. It's just like I get not everyone's gonna feel the same way as I do when it comes to Sweeney. I don't think he's a particularly good GM. I respect other people's opinions on that, but I think when it comes to trades, like I said, I just personally just just be careful what you wish for a little bit, I guess, there. But um yeah. Now that we've thoroughly depressed the fan base with this wonderful episode, we'll, we'll and your editor, yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll wrap up for real. We'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks with a new episode before the uh, trade deadline. Where I'll, I'll harp on them not trading for Nino a couple dozen more times. Um, but I appreciate you both joining me. It's always good. Always a pleasure. All right. Thanks, listeners. Have a good night.